you know, what's the one thing that you're, that you're really hungry for when it comes to your life? What do you want? I remember when my kids were young, and, and now I mean really young, like one and three years old young. Uh, and we went on a trip to Mexico. And now, I highly recommend having parents who own a timeshare in Mexico. Because being their kids has a lot of perks, and, and, and this was one of them. And, so, and I remember waking up on the, the last day of our trip in Mexico. And I was lying in bed thinking about all of the painful steps I would need to take with two small children that day in order to be in my own bed at the end of the day. And I remember thinking the one thing that I loved most in that moment was to simply be in my bed at the end of the day. Because I didn't want to have to go through all the painful steps. This is what the day looked like. 8 a.m. Wake up. Pack up all of my, our stuff and the kids' things. Check out of the hotel. Wrangle two small kids and all of their things into a taxi to get to the airport. And I'll go on thinking about my bed at the end of the day. <laughs> then it's lunchtime, noon. Check in at, with the airline. Flights are delayed. A long wait uh, to board the plane. Finally, get on the plane. Six hour flight. Trying to wrangle two small kids who are a little grumpy and keep them quiet. And all along, just longing to be in my bed at home. 11 p.m. at the end of the day. Touchdown in Vancouver. Time change. Wake up the sleeping children. Get the luggage. Go through customs. Take the shuttle to the car park. Back out of the car park. Flat tire. Because I'm being critical of, of the pastor, because I've seen the message. 
was him with his own words. He, he texted his wife after the message and said, I totally whiffed at that one. <laughs> and after this simple message, a, a team of three got up and played a song. They left the stage as they would on any other chapel day. Many people filtered out of the chapel. There were about 20 people in the city with pockets around the room. Some of them praying. Some of them weeping. Before long, the worship team decided to get back up on stage and didn't play there. They began to sing. And they sang and, and they prayed for for, for, for healing, this, this little group of 20 people, for, for healing and wholeness and justice and peace. And again, the weak coming forward to the front, confessing to one another their sin in repentance. It was like God's manifest presence was, was, was there in the room. It, it was palpable. It was, it was beautiful. And it wasn't long, of course, before news started to spread over campus. And as students uh, began to run to the chapel to get a sense of to what was going on, they, they, they ran to the chapel so they could sing and, and pray and, and confess and, and to be in this place where, where they felt Jesus was. It was like a hunger that they didn't even know was there was awoke. And these young 20-year-olds, they were hungry for more. Hungry for, for Jesus. And that one-hour chapel turned into a, a two-hour chapel and a three-hour chapel. Four, actually five. It, it went on for the whole day, 24 hours. But not just one day, two days. Actually, not just two days, one week. And not just one week, two weeks. Two weeks of, of this prayer, of confession, this beautiful worship of Jesus. And, and, and from those who were there, it's, the description are, it wasn't this wild frenzy. It was this peaceful presence of God. Young people on their knees, saying, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I, I'm sinful. My life is broken. The people worshiping to God through the simplicity of, of, of just being in his presence. On the last day of, of this, this, this one-hour chapel, <laughs> there were over 20,000 people who arrived on campus in a city that usually only has 6,000 people. 20,000 young people hungry for God. The president of the university said, these young people are hungry. They're hungry for something more. Just like Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Church, what are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? With this question kind of echoing in the room, I want to lead us back into the parables that Jesus tells in Luke's gospel. Because I believe the parable we're going to look at today, this question hangs in the air. Jesus asked us this question, church, what are you hungry for? Now, I don't know if you remember, it was back in the fall that we began this service series in the parables. Okay? Um, and then we took a, a break for Christmas and then in the New Year's. And I want to pick up where we left off uh, when, we, when we ended uh, just uh, 
in the parables of Jesus that he speaks in the Gospel of Luke. So turn with me to Luke chapter 12. And we're going to pick up Jesus' parable that's found uh, in verses 13 to 21. Yeah. 
He's hungry for, for his inheritance. He wants a share of the family wealth. And now, we don't have an awful lot of information about this man in the text, but, but I can assure you that it, it seems as though his request here is, is somewhat genuine. It, there's a legitimacy to his request. You see, in the culture of his day, the older brother would have received the family inheritance and, and then would have doled it out to the remaining uh, sons of the family. Because that's how it worked, that the inheritance was doled out to the sons of the family. And so this man, in effect, is petitioning Jesus to force his brother to do what's required of him uh, to give him his inheritance. But there's something else that's happening here. Right? The, the man that asked him for his inheritance is essentially saying, I want to be done with my brother. You remember the parable of the two uh, prodigal sons, because there's two of them, right? But the, the younger son uh, wants his inheritance from his father early. And essentially, that, that's like saying, I want it with the family. And so this man, he, he, in our parable today, he, he wants his share of the family wealth, and he wants to be independent from his family. Well, and independence is what this man is hungry for. And sometimes it's how life goes for us too, isn't it? Sometimes what we want most out of life is wealth. We need to be honest about that. Because wealth gives us access to all the other things that we want as well. When I turn 40, something strange happens. And it's not what you're seeing happening right here. Okay? That is happening as well, all right? Let's be honest. I need to do a few more steps. But when I turned 40, what happened to me was I started thinking about retirement. <laughs> like, not that I'm ready to retire now, but I, I, I knew that at 40, I got to start thinking about this because if I want to retire, I need to plan. And, and for those of you who know me, I, I like a particular level of lifestyle. I, I, I like to be pampered. Um, I, I mean, I'm not that bad. I'm playing it up here. The reality is that there's, there's this kind of life that I envision in my future, and, and I want to be ready for it. I want to be prepared. I want to live that life. And here's the thing, church. There's nothing wrong with, with planning and saving, because that's what good stewardship looks like. Jesus calls us to that. But there is a line between stewardship and idolatry. And I walk the line. There's a line between planning and self-serving greed. And the truth is, for many of us, uh, uh, we have a hunger for money more than anything else, or we have a hunger for, for what our wealth can bring us. Things like comfort. Who wants comfort? Security. Power. Opportunity. Yeah, 
He says, Jesus says this, Take heed and beware of every kind of insatiable desire. See, Bailey recognizes that in the original language, we get the sense that Jesus is saying, wealth is this desire that we cannot satisfy. It's an insatiable desire. Even if the man gets everything that he wants, he still won't be satisfied. And sometimes the things that we want the most in life are, are things that, that feel good for, for a moment. But they don't last a lifetime. Like the new phone loses its luster. Or a new relationship loses its spark. The vacation comes to an end. The high eventually turns to a low. And Jesus, he, he speaks into this worldly hunger that we all have, and he says, take hey, heed, beware of every kind of insatiable desire. And then he says this, he says, for life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life, life doesn't come from insatiable desires. Life is the key word here, church. In the original language, it's the word zoe. And you're probably familiar with it because I speak about it quite often. Right? Zoe. Zoe is different than the Greek word bios. Because bios is the word for biological life. Right? Bios is the blood in our veins or, or the air in our lungs. But zoe is something Zoe is a particular kind of life. It's, it's a, a quality of life. Zoe uh, is the life that God is. Right? It's the life that God is shared as, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's this community of love that is life at the very center of God. That's life. Zoe is the life that God is. It's the life that God has, and it's the life that God breathes into us with His Holy Spirit. Zoe is more than the mechanics of breathing. It's the beauty of being fully alive. So, of course, this life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. I mean, how could it? Because possessions fade. But the life of God endures forever. Possessions, they lose their luster, but the glory of God shines eternal. But it's not just possessions that lack this Zoe life of God. It's, it's all the other stuff that we hunger after. Beauty. Security. Jesus, he tells his parable. Verse 16. Again, this way. 
It wasn't the rich man's wisdom or intelligence or skill or effort that produced the harvest. It was the ground. It was the ground that God gave. I mean, I, I, could, I could spend a whole sermon just on this one particular verse. And sometimes we think that the blessing that we have in life is something that we've made, that we're self-made people. We've worked hard. We deserve this. That's not how Carol said. The ground produced the harvest. And any farmer here can tell you that's true. They can work really hard, but there is a measure of the harvest that is completely out of their control. The abundant harvest was God's doing, and this man who receives it has been given the harvest on loan. And the parable goes on. Verse 17 and 19. Here it goes. So the man thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. <laughs> then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now the man's perspective is pretty clear. <laughs> or at least I try to make it clear. Who does it revolve around? thinks that the gift of the harvest is his own to be used for his own pleasure. And if you think about it, church, when I, when I think about the things that I'm mostly hungry for, they're things that serve myself. They serve my own pleasure. They, they serve my own comfort, my, my own desire. And it's not that some of those things are wrong. They're, they're not, but Yeah. 
all went to waste, just as his entire life did. It was wasted. And so God calls him a fool, because he's wasted his life hungering for something that provides no lasting value to himself or to others around him.
discovered. It's as though Jesus is walking out of town and he says, Jesus, I know you did there, but I don't want you to pass by without the blessing. That's how I feel about that. The Spirit of God has done something in, in 20 year olds. There's hope for our generation, this generation. Not this town. And I'm saying, Jesus, I want to come to you. Don't pass by. Without invitation that the preacher in the Asbury Chapel gave that day was this. And this was the simple piece at the end of his message. He was preaching on, uh, on being loved in action. And he said this. If you want to be loved in action, this was the application. You need to experience the love of God for yourself. Let me paraphrase. If you want your life to matter, you need to experience the love of God for yourself. If you want your life to matter, that won't come through your wealth or the stuff you have. If you want your life to matter, it won't come through your success or your achievement or the comfort that you enjoy or the beauty you possess. If you want your life to matter, that will come as you open your heart to let Jesus love you. Because it is not change. So it's appropriate we come to the communion table. And I want to invite the worship team to come forward. It's appropriate that we come to the communion table because it's here in the table where we remember Jesus' profound love to each one of us. Church, are you hungry for more of God in your life? The answer to that is yes. If you're hungry for, for more of Jesus, then I want to invite you to come to Jesus' table. Because it's here where we kind of enter into this, this great exchange. You see, we are, are sinful and broken. And at the table, we have a host who, who is holy and, and righteous and just. It's and as we become a sinful and broken people, the holy and just Jesus takes our sin upon himself. And he gives us his holiness. The bread represents his body, which was given for us on the cross. And the blood represents his, his, his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sin. He died for us. There's no greater place where we see the love of God on display. He gave up, stepped out of the cross of heaven, gave up his life so that we might be filled with him. So in life. Are you hungry for more of God in your life? If you are, I invite you to come forward and be in search I invite you to come and to receive his love in the bread and the cup. To receive his love, to receive his grace.